Life Church, it's my honor and privilege today to introduce to you our guest speaker, Joe Lyons. Joe and I have been friends for many, many years. We youth pastored together in Arkansas, and Joe has youth pastored and senior pastored some great churches and great ministries in Arkansas. He's currently the senior pastor of Northwest Assembly in Bentonville, Arkansas. And Joe has a fantastic message that I thought would be wonderful to close out our series on why. So would you give a great Life Church welcome to my friend and our guest, Joe Lyons. Thank you. It's great to be at Life Church. Pastor Aaron, thank you for an incredible introduction. Everything has been great. I mean, from the moment I got here, everything has been incredible. But there are two things that I noticed immediately. Number one, it's cold here. And I know some of you are probably thinking, this is not cold at all. But where I came from in the South, let me tell you, anything under 50, it's cold. So it's cold here. Number two, you guys talk different. It's been hilarious. All day, people have stopped me and asked me, like, where are you from? And uh, so it's great. It's great to be here. I just want to say, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you guys, th this place is lit. This is incredible. You, this is a great church, great leadership. Everything has been incredible. Your pastors have treated me like a king. I've never, never been treated this well. My mom doesn't treat me this well. But it's been great. The food, everything, the room, the gifts, everything has just been, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's over the top except one thing. That's your pastor's driving. I'm telling you, this guy, it's incredible. He, there's two things about his driving that stands out. Number one, he goes really fast. And it's never straight. So visualize that. I could be the most prayed up guest speaker at the, in the history of Life Church. I've spent all day praying, literally all day. So it's, it's great to be here. This church is incredible. You know, when you drive up on this campus, everything about you, everything from the beginning to, to now, it's obvious that people are accepted and expected at Life Church. So you guys do church the right way, and I just want to commend you on that. There are a lot of people that follow Life Church, and uh, so not only are you having a great impact in this state, but literally around the world. My church is one of the churches that follows you guys. And Pastor Aaron, I just want to say, buddy, I love you. And uh, Tammy, what an incredible, incredible gift that God has given you here at Life Church. All of this that I've been talking about. Go ahead. Absolutely. All of this is a reflection. I know that you know this. It's a reflection of your leadership. And uh, to you, he's known as Dr. Cole. To many around the world, this guy speaks everywhere. He's on more boards than I could name in the allotted time that I have this evening. And uh, everybody knows him as Dr. Cole. But I know him as Aaron. And he is my friend. And he has been my friend for a long time. So, Pastor, it's such an honor to be invited here to be a part of what God's doing at Life Church. So thank you. Very honored and very humbled. Uh, as I get started tonight, I wanted to introduce you to my family. Is that okay? I'm not here. So I want to introduce you to my family. I want to talk first of all about my son. My son, uh, Nathan, is this incredible, incredible sports athlete in Northwest Arkansas. So Bentonville, where we attend, uh, the city of Bentonville in Northwest Arkansas, it's the largest high school in the state. Recently, like the last three years, we split. We have two high schools. It's still the largest two high schools in the state of Arkansas. And Nathan is this incredible athlete, 
So, yeah, I'm like grandpa pulling out the pictures here. Is that what it feels like? And, uh, but he played basketball, baseball, and football up until his sophomore season at the largest high school in the state. So he's an incredible athlete. And as a sophomore, he committed to play baseball, uh, Division I baseball, at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. And he actually started toward the end of his freshman year. So he's off to a great start. So this kid is an incredible athlete, good-looking and uh, got all his athleticism from his mom and his good looks from his dad. So let's start there. And then my, my wife, Lisa, is just uh, a beautiful person. Um, we met in youth ministry. Pastor Aaron alluded to a little earlier that we were friends as youth pastors. So Lisa and I were youth pastors. We met doing bus ministry. It can't get any more spiritual than that. So we did bus ministry together. And, and God has really blessed me in my life. I've lived a very blessed life. Gifted son, beautiful wife, and I pastor a great church in Northwest Arkansas. But on December the 5th of this past year, at 11.20 p.m., my wife Lisa died of ovarian cancer. We were married 25 and a half years, so over half of our married life, we battled cancer. Come, leave, come, leave. The last time it came, obviously, it stayed. And so, over the last 11 months of my life, I have struggled with the question, why? Why God? God, if you have the ability, if, because your word declares by your stripes we can experience healing. So God, if you have the ability, if you have the power to heal my wife, why did you not do it? If you, had the, if you had the power, and your word says you have the desire, if you have the power and the desire, then why did you not heal Lisa? Why did this beautiful woman die of cancer? I want to be honest, if I would have got cancer, I'd say, I get it, I deserve that. But not Lisa. One of the most kind, most pure people that you would have ever met in your life. Probably the worst thing she ever did was eat chocolate after dark. I mean, she's just that kind of person. So to see her go through the struggle of chemotherapy and all the different things they would try was very difficult. It shook my faith to the core, and I asked God why. Why do you choose to answer and deliver at times and other times you choose not to? We see this in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us examples of many times that God answered and delivered His people. But I want you to look at verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. So, I read just chapter 11, and I ask God, why? Why do some get an answer from you? Why, why do you deliver some and others you choose not to answer or deliver? When you read the Old Testament, you read a story about a guy named Moses who stood at the Red Sea, and God parted the Red Sea, and he and the children of Israel walked across on dry land. But what happens when you stand before your Red Sea, and God, for whatever the reason, doesn't part the Red Sea? There's another story about David who took a rock to a sword fight. It's this incredible story where God delivered him from the hands of this Goliath. But what happens when you take a rock to the sword fight? God doesn't deliver you. 
There's another great story in the Old Testament about Daniel who was thrown in the lion's den. The Bible says that God in a miraculous way shut the mouths of the lion. But what happens when you're thrown in the lion's den and God chooses not to shut the mouths of the lion? That's where I'm at. For whatever the reason, God chose not to heal my wife. So even though I've graduated from Bible college and even though I preached the gospel for over 25 years, her death rocked me to the core. It questioned everything I've ever taught, everything I've ever learned, heard about God. So I didn't come tonight with a sermon. I don't have a sermon. But I have a story. And I want to share with you over the next few minutes three theological truths. Number one, I, I didn't learn this in Bible college. I didn't hear about this in a conference, and I didn't read about this in a book. Three things I have learned, and I walked out, that I have experienced personally in the last 11 months of my life. And then I'm going to close with three practical truths. Now, some of you are already getting nervous. So the guy from the south's got six points. Dear God, we're going to be here all night. I'm going to go really fast. Buckle up. Are you ready to go? Theological truth number one. Again, this is what I've learned. It's what I've experienced myself. In this process of questioning God, why? Why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? Why? Number one, God loves me. I know that sounds very simple, but yet it can be very profound. Because this is very important because I have unchurched friends who over the, last, over the last 11 months have come up to me and said, Joe, if this God that you serve and this God that you preach about, if he loves you so much, then why did he not heal Lisa? You say he has the power. You've preached on healing before you. You believe God. You've taken God at his word. Yet why did he choose not to do that? It's important that we understand that God's love is measured and determined by who he is. And not just what he does or chooses not to do. I don't know about you, but I have been guilty of treating God like a vending machine God. Meaning I put something in and I expect God to give me something in return. God, I'm a pastor. I've preached for 25 years. We, we've sold out to you. We work and we do all of these kind of things. So God, I, I'm doing all of this. So I'm putting my money in the vending machine. And in return, I'm expecting God to do something. And then when I didn't get what, in return what I wanted, I was like, God, what's up? I've done all of this. I've preached. I've been faithful. Lisa was faithful. We, we've done everything that we know to do. We've done it the right way. And yet, it feels like when we needed you the most, you didn't answer. So I've learned that God loves me. It's not based on who I am. It's not based on my title. It's not based on my friendships. It's not based on the size of church that I pastor. It's simply based on who he is. And scripture says that God is love. And one of the things that I've learned in this process over the last 11 months is that I don't deserve the love that I have already received. So how can I complain about what God didn't do? So it hit me one day. I was coming back from the island of Bonaire, been on a mission trip with our church. And I was just sitting in my seat and silently praying and thinking about all of this. 
When all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke to me, it allowed me to put the death of my wife in a completely new context. And here it is. I didn't deserve the 25 and a half years that I had already had with her. So how could I complain about God not giving me another 25 and a half years? Come on. God loves me. God loves me. And sometimes God loves me enough to say no, and he loves me enough to say not now. And that's hard to understand. I mean, it's kind of like parents, right? You, 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 sometimes you tell your kids no, but it doesn't mean that you don't love them. It's hard for your kids to understand, no, they can't have ice cream right before dinner when there's a freezer full of ice cream. But you know what's best. So sometimes God says no, and just because he says no doesn't mean he doesn't love me. God, for whatever the reason, said no to healing Lisa. But it does not negate he loves me. That was number one. Number two, silence doesn't mean absence. Many times, standing on the front row, as your pastor does each and every week, going through my final thoughts, what I'm going to say, how I'm going to start the sermon, I could feel God's presence. So I want you to think about this. For 13 plus years, I prayed every day for God to heal my wife. Every day. Some days, I mean, my faith was high. I would pound the floor and bombard the the doors of heaven and say, God, today I believe that you are going to heal Lisa. And then other days, my faith was so low that I could just barely get it out in in my spirit. And I would just mumble it under my breath, God, I want you to heal Lisa. But the point is, every day, not a day, that's an absolute, every day, For 13 plus years, I prayed that God would heal Lisa. Not a word. Never heard the voice of God. But many times, on that front row, with the room completely full, feeling all alone, even though God didn't speak, even though he was silent, he was still present. So here's what I learned. God doesn't promise that he will always answer or he will always deliver. But he does promise, I will always be with you and I will never leave you alone. So I've learned this in the last few months. Silence doesn't mean absence. I had a guy in my church, his name is Charles, just just a good guy. Nothing out of the ordinary with Charles. One day, I'm standing at the door, and I'm shaking hands. I love to do that because people tell me how great of a preacher I am, and that's why I stand back there. <laughs> Pastor, you're great. That was a great sermon. I just eat it up. I just tell you, I love it. So that's why I do it. So I'm standing back there. Charles walks up. He's tears just running down his face. He says, Pastor Joe, I've got to tell you what I saw today. During worship, I was looking at you. And I saw God the Father standing beside you with his arm around you. It may sound weird. Bless my soul. Because it was real to me. God was silent, but he was not absent. Number three, lean into your faith. See, my walk with God brought me to what I call the intersection of, of faith and doubt. And what I mean by that, even though I have a a college degree. I've graduated from a Bible college, all of that. I've preached this gospel for over 25 years. I've done all of this. It still brought me to that intersection. Do I believe this stuff or do I not? 
And I, I learned this as a cross follower. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. No matter if you've been saved today or say, sooner or later, you're going to come to that intersection of, of faith and doubt. What I mean by that, it's going to force you to get off the pen. You're either going to believe this stuff or not. It's one thing to preach it. It's another thing to sing about it. But when you have to walk this stuff out and you have to live this stuff out, how many of you know it gets real at that moment? So at that moment, I learned the importance of leaning into my faith. Do I believe this stuff or don't I? And I want to tell you, second morning after Lisa passed, I'm lying in bed. And my prayer started something like this. God, the mere fact that I'm talking to you this morning says I still believe in you. But I want you to know that if you're not who you say you are, Lisa's not where you say she is. I just want you to know I'm lost. My faith tank is on empty and I used the word floundering I said God I'm just if you're not who you say you are I'm floundering I want to show you this there were times in the altar time at our church that I would be preaching and when it was over my faith was so high during the prayer time that I could visualize Lisa getting out of bed taking a shower getting dressed and walking through the door and my faith was so high that if all of that would have transpired it would I wouldn't have been shocked I wouldn't have been like oh wow no none of that would have caught me off guard because my faith was that high and I believed God was going to heal her body to the point that I could visually see her doing that and yet God didn't say a word never answered that not a word but on that morning, now check this out. I'm, I wasn't questioning why God didn't heal Lisa. I was questioning the very existence of God. God, if you're not who you say you are, if, 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 if you're not this God that Lisa and I have given our lives to, if you're not, God, if you're not the God of this gospel that we've preached about for over 25 years, I just want you to know I'm lost and I'm just, I'm floundering here. And for the first time in 13 years, I heard the voice of God. John chapter 1, verse 29. I leap out of bed. I run to the table. I get my Bible open. John the Baptist and some people are having a discussion about, are you the Messiah? Are you Jesus? And all this. And there's this whole discussion going on. The essence of verse 29. Jesus, I am who I say I am. So I learned... That God didn't answer me at the height of my faith. When my faith was sky high, when he was on the top shelf, God was silent. Didn't say a word. But when I had no faith left, when I had very little faith, I was questioning the very existence of God. God came walking into my life to simply remind me, I am who I say I am. And Lisa is where I say she is at this very moment. So let me encourage you. Lean into your faith. Because sooner or later in your life, you're going to come to that intersection. It, mine, I'm there. It was the loss of my, my spouse. For you, maybe the loss of a job. Business deal, go awry. Well, I don't know. Bad relationship. Bankruptcy. But sooner or later, you're going to find yourself at that intersection of doubt and faith. And here's what I know. You will either lean into your faith or you will leave your faith. So over the last 11 months, 
I've made a decision every day to lean into my faith and to simply believe that God is who he says he is. So that's the theological side. Here's the practical side. Number one, the precious present. I'm just sharing things I've learned. So I'm a planner. I'm a preparer. You know, leaders, we have to do that kind of stuff, look around the curve, always, always looking forward and all that. But what I've learned when Lisa was in treatment and even the last few days and even the last 11 months of my grieving, I have learned the importance of the precious present. Because I would give anything to be able to hit the rewind button and go back and change some things I said and did. Maybe we should have went to this doctor, not this doctor. But here's what I know. I have no control over anything that's happened in the past. So I can't do anything about that. What I've also, I don't have any control over the future. You and I, we're in the same boat. We don't have the promise to leave this room tonight. I get it. I understand. Plan, prepare, look ahead. But in all of that, don't get so caught up in looking ahead that you forget about the precious present. Lisa and I learned this is the only promise we have. It's the promise of right now. So we didn't talk about grandkids. We didn't talk about retirement. We, we didn't talk about dream vacations. We just talked about today. We have each other, and we're going to love each other. We're going to be faithful to God today. So don't get so caught up in the future that you forget about the precious present. Number two, don't go alone. Oh, I'm telling you, the devil loves nothing more to get you alone. Because I mean, I'm telling you, you, you get alone, he can mess with your head. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you'll deal with. So when you, when you get to that intersection, doubt and faith, don't go alone. Now, lean in and listen to this. You can't hang out with stupid people. And maybe y'all don't have stupid people here, but in the South. <laughs> I get it. But don't go alone. You know, I think sometimes we get so caught up in what to say when someone's grieving. I struggle with that. I'm a pastor. I still struggle with that. I can't tell you anything of all the hundreds of people that visited, texted, sent emails, all that. I can't tell you a word that anybody said. But I can tell you who was there when I was walking through the darkest valley in my life. Your pastor is one of those people. I don't remember a word he said. I just remember my friend Aaron was there when my wife died. So don't go alone. When you get to those, that intersection, down faith, don't go alone. And number three, I don't want to sound harsh here, but start moving. There's a story in the Old Testament, this, this, this guy named Elijah, and he comes off this mountaintop experience. It's an incredible story. He calls fire down from heaven. That's a big deal. I mean, when you're a preacher and you can call down fire from heaven, I'm telling you, that's a big deal, okay? 
And you'll be on TBN and everything. It's a big deal. So he calls fire down from heaven, has this incredible God moment. I mean, he's winning. He's at the top of his game. This is a top shelf moment. In the very next chapter, the Bible says he's sitting underneath a tree. And one translation says, he, the Elijah said, I've had enough. I just want to die. And here's what you'll, I, I just talked about this. Elijah, God sent, Elijah, God sent an angel to provide food and water and a word of encouragement. So God spoke to him in that, in that valley of depression and God provided for him, but God did not carry him out of that valley. The man of God had to say, you know what? I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk out of this valley. I get it. And I have to make that decision every day of my life. When I wake up, today I choose to get up and I'm going to start moving. I'm going to move on with my life. i, I got to move on. i got to start moving. There's another story about David, King David. He loses his son. His son dies. I can't even imagine what he felt. I'm paraphrasing here. and He says to the group of people, he says, what's going on? Did my son die? And they said, yes, David, your son is dead. And the Bible says that David got up, he washed himself, he went to the house of God and worshiped and came back home to get something to eat. My point is, start moving. Even if you're barely moving. I, I mean, even if it feels like slow motion, slow motion is still motion. There are some days I go faster than other days. There, there are some days that I celebrate if I get up and make my bed. But I want you to know, if I make my bed, again, I'm moving. I'm moving forward. I'm saying, God, I'm still in the fight. I still believe you. So today, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start moving. Because greatness is found in the grind. The one who says, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stay here. I choose to get up every day and fight like the third monkey trying to get on the ark. That's my goal every day. I'm going to fight. I can't control losing my wife. I don't have the words or the vocabulary or the ability to communicate what this, this 11 months has been like without her. Because in one moment, I lost my wife, my best friend, and my best person. I can't tell you what it's been like. But I can tell you these six things. I have walked out and I have learned. And I have experienced them firsthand. My hope is that somehow my pain will be your gain. That my story would be an encouragement to you. So whether you're here in person today or you're listening in one of the campuses at Life Church or you're watching online, I want to close in prayer and I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thankful and grateful. Lord, as difficult as this has been, I cannot even begin to imagine what it would have been like without you. So I'm thankful for who you are and what you do every day. And so today, as I stand on this platform, I talk to the audience of Life Church, regardless of where they are. 
I pray on their behalf. Because I know, Lord, sooner or later, they're going to come to the same intersection that I came to. Neither they're going to believe or not believe. And I pray, God, when they get to that intersection, that your love, your mercy, your grace would be made known to them in a way that they never imagined. I pray, God, that you would show grace, mercy, healing, strength like never before. I pray for this great church and this great leadership. God, that this story somehow would make a difference in someone's life. It's in your name I pray. Amen.